0: If you want to open your Bibles to Exodus 14, we're going to hear a message out of Exodus 14 this morning. And let's go before the Lord with the word of prayer. And Father, we bow our hearts before you once again, Lord, and I just ask that, as we always do, Father, that you'll speak to us through your words. I just ask that you'll minister to any needs here in this body we have, and uh, that our hearts will be open. If it doesn't apply to us today, Lord, we know it'll apply down the road, and, and that all your scripture is given for our instruction and our benefit and we thank you for that this word that you've given us we thank you so much for it and the revelation that we have and we ask you to bless this meeting in your presence here now in jesus name we pray all right so you're in exodus 14 just a little background leading up to that so you know coming up to exodus 14 the israelites had just left Egypt after the Lord had killed all the firstborn Egyptians and listen Egypt was so glad to be shed of the Jews at that point and they're like we'll give you anything you want you want our jewelry you want our clothes just take it and they're like and would you just please hurry up and get out of here because they were scared to death of the Jews and most of all they're scared to death of their God and they know if they get rid of the Jews and their God Things will be better for them than they were because what they said in the King James was, we be all dead men. You know, you killed our firstborn, but the next thing, you're going to come after the rest of us. So Israel, you think, they just had to be, at that point, they had to be overjoyed. God's granting them a deliverance. They've been wanting to leave. That Pharaoh had been forbidding them. And now he's saying, you know, please get out of here. And their God, the God of Israel, had humiliated the gods of Egypt Because all of those plagues, that's what they represented. The overthrow of the gods of Egypt. And God was saying, I am the Lord of the earth. Because Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth at that time. And the Lord's saying, no, I'm the Lord of the earth. And he sent the frogs, the lice, the flies, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and the death angel. The Egyptians against those plagues were utterly powerless. And that's the way it's going to be coming in these end times in the book of Revelation with the tribulation is coming. Man with all his inventions, with all his apples and his iPods, when God starts judging this earth, men will be utterly powerless and at his mercy. And that's the way it was. But God said, I'm going to draw a distinction between Egypt, who represents the world, and my people. And so all those plagues came on the Egyptians, but there were no flies in Goshen. That's what it says. There are no flies in Goshen. None of their cattle died. That's the distinction God made. And when there was darkness over the entire land, no light anywhere, guess where they had some little homey lights and fires? In Goshen, in the dwellings there. And God made a distinction. None of their firstborn died, did they? And why was that? It's because of the blood of the Lamb. And that's the distinction He'll make on us in this end times, won't He? those of us that are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and are living and walking under the blood of the lamb, we will be preserved and God will save us. That's the hope we have. So how happy do you think Israel would have been after 400 years of slavery and being free? I think they'd have been really happy. Wouldn't you be? I'm thinking they're probably like, we are finally free as they're getting ready to leave there. You know, Nathan, God has heard our cries of distress. And he's come and and delivered us. We're done with slavery, done with the Egyptians. And man, do we have a bright future ahead of us. They'd have been singing that song. Happy days are here again. The skies above are clear again. So let's sing a song of cheer again. Happy days are here again. Except they'd have been doing it in Yiddish. But that's what I think they'd have been singing, right? And so we see here at the end of chapter 13, God himself is leading these people after they've left Egypt, God himself has guided them. That cloudy pillar by day and that fire by night. And so look at Exodus 13. Look at there at the very end of that. We'll go into 14 after this. But look verses 21 and 22. It says, and the Lord, the Lord's the one leading them out, went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And I'm saying, what more could you ask for? He's given them shade during the day, and that pillar's guiding them wherever they need to go. God himself, that's his presence, which we have now through the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's his presence that leads and guides us now. But back then, that pillar is guiding them by day, giving them shade. The wilderness, I've been out there, it is blazing hot. There's no relief from the heat. And then at night, it gets cold and hits that fire still guiding them, giving them heat, giving them light. God himself, God leading them. Their faith, you would think, at that point, through all that, would have to be at an all-time high. At least they probably thought it was. And what we're going to see next is God stepped in and he messed up their party because he had some lessons to teach them. And through them, he has some things he wants to teach us. And I wanna look at three lessons that we see today in this account in Exodus 14. And I'll tell you what they are ahead of time. So the first thing I wanna look at is that God will take and lead us at times into unexpected and difficult places. That's gonna be our first point. The second point is gonna be our enemy is relentless, but God is in control. And the third thing we're going to see is God wants us to know that he knows what he's doing. And we'll see that. So let's read here these first nine verses in Exodus 14. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against baal Zephon. Before it you shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camping by the sea, besides. Pi Ha Hiroth and before Baal Zephon. So here's what's going on here Israel is on their way out of Egypt and they've got the Egyptians, they think they're in their rearview mirror. They're thinking they're done with them. They're rejoicing in God's presence and all of a sudden Moses gets a word from headquarters. Here's what we got to do it's down in verse 2. Here's what God tells him You speak unto the children of Israel that they turn back. And encamp before Pihahiroth and between Migdal and the sea over against Baal Zephon. before you shall encamp by the sea. He tells them, hey, you're going away. Now I want you to go back. Wait a minute. You thought you left. Go back to this certain place. And I want you to camp between the desert and the sea. And what's he doing? God is sending them back to be trapped. And the people, you think about that. What would they have been thinking? They had to be thinking, this is crazy we're turning back from where we just left we want to be making a beeline out of here as fast as we can and God's sending us back that way Moses is the one saying he's heard from God what's he smoking that he's telling us to do that you know this position they they could see that this is going to leave us vulnerable and what we need to see as God's people is that many times God leads his people into unexpected and difficult places in places that appear dangerous, defenseless, and threatening. Has that never happened to you in your Christian walk? It's happened to me many times. And so he'll bring us into situations God will. He did it to them right here. God is the one that directed them that way to where they're feeling totally helpless and vulnerable. That's what he's done to them. And that is his pattern throughout Scripture. That's what he does to bring himself glory and also to show us how much he loves us. We'll see that. But think about this. Think about 2 Chronicles 14. Asa and the people, he brought the people back. They're back to studying the law, serving the Lord, seeking the Lord. They got peace. And all of a sudden, who appears on the horizon? A million Ethiopians. And they are vastly outnumbered. Two to one, Israel is. And the Ethiopians are equipped and trained, and Israel is not for war. And Asa sees that. And what's his response? This is what it says. It says, Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. And that's the way we feel a lot of times. At least I do have no power. And he says, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on thee. And in thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God, and let not man prevail against that.'" How many times do we feel that way? Do you, if you are trusting God and stepping out on his promises in any way, you'll have that happen to where it feels like I am powerless against this attack. Sometimes it's an emotional, sometimes it's something in the family, sometimes it's with friends, sometimes it's any kind of situation, you name it, and that attack's coming on you and you feel powerless. Many times it's that way. And listen, it's not a lack of faith for Asa. This is what he said in his prayer, help us. O Lord our God for we rest on thee that is not a lack of faith because if you read the Psalms just get your concordance out and read the Psalms many 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 times many times David cries out to God for help and it wasn't that David didn't have faith and here's just a few examples that you can listen to out of the Psalms Psalms 22:19. Listen to this. David says, be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. He's like, I can't endure this trial. I need you to come now. Help me now. That's what he's saying. Don't be far from me, Lord. Psalm forty thirteen. David writes, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. He says again, O Lord, make haste to help me. I mean, I think there's at least four or five times in the Psalms where he says that. Just please make haste to help me. I need you now. Psalm 60, 11, he says this. Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. And Psalm 109, 26, help me, O Lord, my God. O save me according to thy mercy. And as I said, there are countless other places where David gets in trouble. He's walking with God, but he gets in situations. Oh, God, I need you to help me. Make haste and help me now, because otherwise I'm done. And let me get back to Asa. Do you know we're talking about Asa? Do you know when that attack, it came on Asa? You know, it wasn't when he was backslidden. This wasn't God saying, I'm sending this army against you because you've done something wrong. We talked about Assyria the other night, the rot of my indignation. That wasn't what this was with Ethiopia coming, because it was right in the middle. When Asa and the nation, they're seeking the Lord, they're obeying the law, they're right in the middle of a building project, they're not doing anything wrong. Seeking the Lord, it said they had rest on every side and they were prospering. And all of a sudden, bam, here's this crowd coming in to wipe them out. And Asa didn't say this. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for trouble like this. This is not the abundant life you promised. But they were pretty much living the abundant life up to that point. Hey, you hear that abundant life message and rah, 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 and all of a sudden, wait a minute, this is totally the opposite, the way this is playing out, to that message I heard. And Asa didn't say that, did he? Uh-uh. Because here's the thing we need to understand. Now, we've heard this, but sometimes we forget it. And that is, God never promised Asa a life of ease, did he? He only promised him, I'll be with you, and I will deliver you, is what he said. Because after all this happened and God defeated the Ethiopians, it says the Spirit of God in Second Chronicles chapter 15 came on Azariah, a prophet. And here's what he told Asa and all of Israel. Listen, he says, hear ye me, Asa. Listen, this is God speaking through him. And all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And that's what happened. Didn't Asa in his old age, he didn't trust the Lord anymore, right? Had to be rebuked. Said he became diseased in his feet. God was their healer. Exodus 15, 26 had already been written. He wasn't looking to the Lord. Diseased in his feet, the next thing you know, he died because he wasn't putting his trust in God. And so God, for us too, he didn't promise us either, did he? Did the Lord, do we have a promise that we're not going to go and get into difficult places you know places that we would never choose to go aren't you find yourself in places like that I'd never choose to be in this position I'm in but here I am all he promised us like what they is that his presence would go with us and he would deliver us the same way and here's why I said that earlier he wants to show the world through us his people that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe so as we stay faithful to him and trust him in these places that seem impossible and see his faithfulness through that, which we will? It's a testimony to the world. That's what's going on here. That's what God wants to do. Look in verse 4 again. Look what God says. He's telling Moses this. The people don't know this. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And he says what? Here's the reason why. He says, I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, that the Egyptians, the world, may know what? That I am the Lord. <laughs> That's the purpose there. It's a twofold purpose, we'll see. Well listen, Hudson Taylor, a great missionary. You gotta read his biography if you've never read it. It's it's great. He was a pioneer missionary from England over in China when nobody went there. Went through tremendous difficulties. Established a work though that is still there today, that God has blessed. But listen to what Hudson Taylor said. And here's a man that would know what he was talking about. He said, difficulties provide a platform on which the Lord can display his power. Difficulties provide a platform on which the Lord can display his power. Uh, That sounds great. And it's true, doesn't it? Everybody amen that, right? Here's the problem, though. There are difficulties. And we're the platform. (laughs) Right? Right? It's like, great, as long as it's not me. I like to read about other people. But when we get in those positions, it's very hard a lot of times, isn't it, to stay true to what we're saying we're believing. It's a twofold purpose. God brings us into unexpected places so that he does that. so, And he's teaching Israel this, and he'll teach us this as we remain faithful to him, that we can trust him in all situations. Can't we? We can. We've got promises for any situation in this life, and we can wholly trust the Lord. Amen? That's what we're doing here. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Trust in God, God Almighty. But he also uses us as a testimony to this dark and lost world to bring glory to himself through us. Romans 11.36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever does god not deserve the glory i mean he will get all the glory in the end and we will be giving him our glory back to him because anything we have we receive from him we do <laughs> oh, praise the lord when we first get in and let's be honest we get in difficult places because of our obedience to the lord what's our first reaction i want out of this i didn't sign up for this as we said We've been taught that faith brings the victory, and it looks like this is bringing me certain defeat. I want to be out of this. And that's what Israel said. (laughs) That's what they said. Look there in verse 10, chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, troubles come nigh. The children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and they're looking at the wrong thing. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Ah, and then they come after Moses. They say to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? And they're like, hey, don't you remember? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, would you just let us alone (laughs) that we may serve the Egyptians? it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Ah, it's hard a lot of times, isn't it, to think God is the one that's brought me here. And that's what we need to remember. We need to see, and like I said, it's difficult in a trial that God is trying through these circumstances he's brought us to, to show us something about himself that he couldn't do any other way. That is how we'll have experiential knowledge of who our God is. It'll take it from out of the book, out of other books, out of other people's testimonies, and it will be in our hearts. And that no one can take away. Once you've experienced God's faithfulness and his love in a personal way through a trial, you'll never lose that. You'll always have that. And that's why we need to be willing to go through trials because we'll never know of God's Healing power, will we, if we never are in a place where He is our only hope? Isn't that the way it was here for Israel? It was a serious situation, wasn't it? In the natural, they could have died, and they would have died, wouldn't they? If God didn't come through, they were as good as dead. Believe me, they were. And you'll never know of God's love and comfort until you suffer rejection at the hand of your enemies or whoever right? You'll never experience that any other way. And you'll never know his power to help in great temptation until you get in a temptation that seems like it's going to overwhelm you. And you have to call, help me, like we just read out of the Psalms. Or Hebrews 4, hey, we have a great high priest. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's been through what we've been through. Therefore, because of that, he's got compassion on us. It says we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain help in time of need. He'll give it to us. But until you get in a situation where you're experiencing that overwhelming temptation, you won't know that grace to come to help you in time of need, right? That's how it works. We don't like it. Our flesh doesn't like it. Nobody's flesh likes that to get into trial that way. But that's the way God's ordained us to experience his presence and power in our lives. You know, another illustration out of the Bible I'd like to give to see this principle of obedience of God leading his children into dangerous and vulnerable places is the story of Jacob and Esau. So if you would turn to Genesis, put something there in Exodus and turn back to Genesis 32. What we have here coming up to this is God had told Jacob, you know, he's been up with Laban, his uncle got away from Esau and he's up there been working and got him a couple wives and had to work extra overtime for one of them (laughs) kind of got tricked into that and so there comes a point where God tells Jacob he says I want you to go back to Canaan now it's time for you to go back to Canaan so if you're in 32 just look over in 31 3 and you can see that 31 3 it says the Lord said unto Jacob return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred and God promises him there he says and I will be with thee so the rest of chapter thirty one is jacob deciding he's kind of rounding up everybody and he's getting ready to to leave but he's got a little resistance from his father-in-law laban he has to get all that worked out so he finally gets all that worked out and they shake hands their friends they make a covenant and he's on his merry little way coming back and so let's pick it up here in chapter thirty two read the first twelve verses and it says jacob went on his way and the angels of god met him And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother under the land of Seir, the country of Eden. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith, thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and axes, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight." So Jacob just, he sends the report ahead. He sends messengers ahead. Just tell my brother Esau that I'm coming back. Let him know that, okay? And verse 6, and the messengers come back and return to Jacob saying, We have come to thy brother Esau, and also he comes to meet you, and 400 men with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, If Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And you said, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So it doesn't expressly state it, but it does, doesn't it, that Esau is coming to take off the head of Jacob. Because he had said, "Hey, when my mom's and dad passed away, I will come. I'll take care of this guy. I'll leave him alone for right now. But my day is coming when I will get vengeance." And he's coming with four hundred men to meet Jacob when he hears he's coming. And I'm telling you, at this point when he's coming, he's not coming with four hundred men to have a foot washing. Uh, he's going to take care of him. That's what's going on. And so Jacob comes up with these schemes. He's going to divide his troop, his family, and his servants into two companies. And he's saying, well, maybe if he starts smiting one, the other one can somehow get away. And then he's going to send all these gifts, all this livestock, all these presents to Esau. Send them ahead of him and send one and then wait a little bit. And here comes the next batch. And here comes the next batch, hoping that that's going to appease him. I'm going to tell you, you read later on when those two met up. It says they kissed and they hugged and they embraced and they wept. But I'm going to tell you what. That didn't happen because of Jacob's scheming. Jacob was a schemer all his life. He schemed, he got himself in all kinds of trouble. His name Jacob meant supplanter. So I'm gonna tell you, the reason you hear about all that scheme is Jacob at some point, I believe, realizes this ain't gonna work. This guy doesn't care about all this. He is gonna kill me. And so what do we have in Genesis 32? He's gotta get a hold of God. And that's what he does. That's when he wrestles with the Lord. So look what he does here. Verses 26 to 30. He's praying. He's wrestling with the Lord. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. And Jacob says to the Lord, I will not let you go, except you bless me. And he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, or supplanter. And he said, I know, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. That means prevails with God. For as a prince, thou hast had power with God and men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And So you know what happened during that prayer, through that wrestling with God? God changed Jacob's name. He changed Jacob's circumstances and he changed Esau's heart that night. And what did Jacob learn? What did he learn? What we should learn through this is it wasn't his scheming. It wasn't his plotting. It wasn't his worry or any other human wisdom that he had that is going to change his circumstances or more importantly, his brother's heart. But the God of the universe is the one that can change somebody's heart through prevailing prayer. And look what we have here over in the next chapter, 33, when they meet up. Like I said, they met, they wept, they kissed, embraced. But over in chapter 33, beginning in verse 8, Esau says, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, No, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, Then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen your face, he says, as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. And that's what he said earlier. He said, I've seen the face of God and prevailed. And that's what he's seeing in Esau. He's saying, this tells me right here that when I wrestle with God, your countenance in your face, you are out to kill me, and I'm saying you are now favorable to me, and through that, I'm seeing the face of God in your face. The answer to my prayer, how God came through for me in this dire situation. <laughs> and that's what happens, isn't it? So God's brought you in an impossible situation. Children that won't obey, maybe grown children that aren't doing what you know they ought to do you got an oppressive boss that you have to work with, or some customer that's just ridiculous, tough situation in school, or you have got a marriage that seems unsalvageable. You know, it's like I've been brought to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army is behind me. And listen, what do we see here with Jacob? That's the time, isn't it, to wrestle with God in prayer. That's the time. Look to him to give you a way of escape. Because God will do that. We sing the song, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right? There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, is he not? Who will not allow that temptation to be more than you can bear. But with that temptation will do what? He'll make a way of escape. He'll either change that heart. He'll do something. He'll make a way of escape that you can bear it. So that's what happens. You get in those situations through prevailing prayer. And what happened? Jacob is saying, Esau's gonna do us all in. There's nothing I can do. I've got to prevail with God, or I'm a dead man, and so is my family. And God does a chastening work through that. Because Jacob, what? It says he limped the rest of his life. You know why? He's learning you can't wrestle with a bad leg. He says, I'm taking that away from you. You're not gonna be walking because you're walking all strong, and then you're no, no, you're gonna be walking. The rest of your life leaning on me Jacob and that's what we need to learn to do in our trials is learn to lean on the Lord prevail with him in prayer take it to the Lord in prayer as the song says amen that's what we should do so back to exodus the second principle we want to look here at is our enemy is relentless but that God is in control So look back in verse 4, it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And look here, it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, what have we done? Why have we let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots, all the chariots of Egypt and captains over everyone. He's coming with everything he's got. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen, his army and they overtook them, camping by the sea, besides Pihahiroth and before baal Zephon. And look, Pharaoh never gave up, did he? You would think, after all the plagues, and after all the mighty power of God demonstrated in the land of Egypt, that Pharaoh would have just had the good sense to quit. You know, I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead. But he didn't. Why? Because his heart Was just a wicked heart that was bent on evil, relentless, right? (laughs) You know, it kind of reminded me when I was thinking about that. I don't know, you remember the story of Joab's brother Asahel? He was bent on following Abner, right? After David took over, he's gonna follow Abner no matter what. And Abner is like, Look, would you just leave me alone and quit following me? Because if you don't, I'm gonna have to do something to you to take care of you. And your brother's not gonna like this. Joab, and Asahel just keeps on, he's like a hound dog, he won't leave him alone. It's like doesn't have the sense to know when to quit. <laughs> so Abner finally just takes it in the end of his spear and bam, it goes says it went through his ribbon right out his back. And that was the end of Asahel. And that was also, you know, Joab makes sure he took vengeance on Abner. But it's like Pharaoh, just a guy that just doesn't know when to quit. <laughs> Kept after Israel, Pharaoh did, until God finally destroyed him. And listen. Our enemy is no more going to give up the devil than Pharaoh is, is he? He is relentless, and we need to remember that. We do. There's no vacation from the devil. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary and my adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, just like Pharaoh. So he's real and dangerous, isn't he? Just like Pharaoh was, he really was. But we know this, I have to go through all this, he is defeated, right? And God is in control of him. So we know that the devil just can't do anything he wants to to us, right? We understand that, all of us, we've been taught about that. So, but the thing is, we know that, but do we know that? Because from our side, when the devil attacks in all of his multitude of ways, with sickness, with any kind of trial or whatever, you know, it's real. The danger appears very real like we've got to do something about it the sickness the threats the job loss and that's the way it was for Israel when he drew nigh, verse 10 the children of Israel they lifted up their eyes and they're seeing this threat coming. behold the Egyptians march after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and that wasn't a cry for help as much as a cry a complaint what are you doing what have you done to us but listen that's from our side that's from their side The enemy's after us. It seems like this situation's out of control, right? But from God's side, he is always in control. He is. So (laughs) look in verses 17 to 18. They see this enemy coming, and they're like, man, he's out to destroy us. What have you done, Lord? What have you done, Moses? But look in verse 17. It says, and I... God says this, "'Behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. "'I'm the one doing that, sending them after you. "'And they shall follow them because,' he says, "'I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, "'upon his chariots and upon his horsemen.'" And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And then look over in verses 24 to 27. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud. And He troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. And they drave them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians and the Lord said unto Moses stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen and Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it and who does it say overthrew the Egyptians the Lord the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea so when you read this story we have the perspective of we can see this story we're not involved in the middle of it right but when you read this story is god not like a master chess player except here's the thing he's playing both sides of the chessboard. he's moving both pieces both colors where he wants them to be and he's putting pharaoh in checkmate that's what's going on here god is the master chess player so who determines the outcome of this chess match? Who's determining it? Pharaoh thinks he is. How oh, these guys are a bunch of suckers. They're lost, they're wandering around. If they just kept going that way, they'd have been way far away from me. Oh, no, but they turn back around, these idiots, and they're just sitting here by the sea, camped, waiting for me, just setting themselves up. That's the way he views this whole thing, right? Who's determining this outcome? Is he God? He says he looks down upon the Egyptians. He's like, I'm going to determine what happens. I'm hardening your heart. I'm in control of that whole situation there. You're putting fear in my people's heart, but they don't know it. I've been in control of you that whole time. They have nothing to fear. That's what Moses tells them. Look, just stand still. Quiet down. And see the salvation of God. You'll see it. It'll come. He's the one that's in control. But we also have to recognize something here. We have a part to play. Through All that just like Israel did because if you go back and read the account Moses he said told him you stretch out your hand over the sea had to stretch out the rod to part the water you stretch out your hand he says the hand over that sea to bring those waters back what if Moses hadn't have done that it wouldn't have happened. And you know what else? He told Israel once the waters had parted and it says it was like a city wall. And what that does is that does away with all these commentaries that want to say it was just a little muddy brook or whatever. It's a joke because it's literally the Hebrew. It's a it's a wall like a city wall. They had to walk through that wall by faith. You realize if they hadn't walked through there by faith, that water would have come down on them. They are obeying what God has said by faith. And I'll tell you, that's what it says in Hebrews 11, 29. By faith, they, Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Their faith kept that water up because it says the Egyptians, it goes on in Hebrews 11:29. 29, the Egyptians assaying or attempting to do what Israel did were drowned because they had no faith. And you'll read the same thing about the walls of Jericho. I mean, God brought those walls down, but it says by faith, through their faith of Israel, as they marched around in obedience, believing God, those walls came down. They had their part to play. And here's the point. I'm saying God's in control of any trial, any situation we are in. But if we don't exercise faith, guess what? Nothing happens. And we can't blame the Lord. So he's in control of all of this he's saying this is what's going to happen because he knows they're going to exercise faith he knows that god knows everything and so we have our part to play we're not going to get away from that jesus went into his own hometown performing miracles everywhere and what did it say he couldn't do any mighty works there because of their unbelief tied his hands tied his hands that's what it says and so here, we quoted 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so how does God defeat him? Through our faith, because it goes on to say in 1 Peter 5, 9, Whom resist steadfast how? In the... <laughs> if we don't resist him, he will devour you or me, potentially, Right? So Israel and Moses, they had to exercise faith in what God would say. So look in verses 15 and 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore do you cry unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel. Tell them you have got to go forward. Verse 16, But thou, lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thy hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. They all had to obey what he said. He said, Tell the children of Israel, You've got to walk on through there. And they had to do that in faith. And they did. And that's how that works. Praise the Lord. All right. So the last principle I want to look at is that God wants us to know that He knows what He's doing. <laughs> that might sound kind of funny. Well, look here. Look at the end of this chapter in verses 28 to 31. So it says, And the waters returned, and it covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them, But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses." And so Israel, it says, saw two things that day. What did they see? Look in verse 30. It says they're seeing the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And what are they seeing there? Just like the men in the boat. Don't you care that we perish? They're crying, God, why did you bring us here? I'd have rather been a slave and alive with my family than dead out here in the wilderness. What are you doing? They had said all that, hadn't they? Accused the Lord that he didn't care about them. And here it's saying they're seeing something. They're seeing that God knows what he's doing. It may not appear that way to us all the time. And look at the other thing it says in verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. They came through an impossible situation and they saw what God had done. And it should have convinced them that God knew what he was doing. But it didn't, did it? Because they fell right back into it. It didn't take very many chapters later and they're complaining, complaining, and complaining to where he finally says, I've heard enough of it. So let's learn from their mistakes. Let's say, hey, when we see how we're in an impossible situation and God has delivered us, we can trust in him. He knows what he's doing. He'll get us through that. Even when things appear crazy, we have to trust that he loves us, don't we? And that he knows what he's doing. That is what faith is. That's as simple as it gets. He's got us in a situation, He's given us promises, He's given us commands, this is what I want you to do to live as my people, and we just have to trust, even though it seems like, look what this has brought me into, that He knows what He's doing, and He loves us, and He's not going to leave us hanging, as long as we continue to trust Him. There's a story of this southern general. Great Southern General of the Civil War, Stonewall Jackson. If I had 10 minutes, I'd let Mr. Rudy give you a book report on him. He'd fill you on all the details, right? (laughs) Well, anyways, at one point, Stonewall Jackson and his sister, they're crossing this very treacherous part of Niagara Falls, not going over the falls, but downriver where the water was just really rough. And they're on this boat, and Stonewall Jackson's in there with his sister, and this boat starts so violently tossing around that she is just literally terrified. She is beside herself, white as a ghost. And he grabs her firmly by the arm and is holding her. And it says he turned to one of the boatmen. And he asked him this question. He says, how often have you crossed here before? He asked his boatman. And the guy's answer was, continually, sir, for the past 12 years. We've done this for the past 12 years. And his next question was, have you ever met with an accident? And he says, never, sir. Never met with an accident. He goes, you've never capsized or lost a life? And the man answers him. The boatman says, nothing of the kind, sir. And so turning to his sister, Jackson tells her this. He said, you heard what the boatman said. And so unless you think you can row better than he does, just sit still and trust him as I'm doing. Amen? So do we think we can row better than the Lord? A lot of times we do, don't we? We grab those oars from him. And we'd be better off here. You take them back, Lord. All right. So he wants us to know that he knows what he's doing. Now, let me close here with this story. So many of you have read Andrew Murray. He's got a lot of books. Some of them are easier to read than others. He's actually written a book on divine healing. It's probably one of the best ones ever written. So for those of you that don't know, he developed, when he was in South Africa, a disease that was called preacher's throat. And the doctors told him, they said, you'll never preach again and so word got to him he says they, that there's this group up in England that they're praying for the sick and miracles are happening he, he didn't know anything about any of that he's like alright well he's like I'm desperate they're telling me they can't do anything for me medically so he went up to England and met with this group and he's like here I am you know go ahead and pray for me and they said no it doesn't work like that they said because you don't have the faith yet to be healed they said if you'll agree to come for a week we ask people you come for a week and you hear teaching you read literature You get your faith built up, and if after a week you want us to pray for you, we'll gladly do it. And he says, all right, fair enough. And that's what he did. He gave himself wholly over to the teaching of divine healing that he'd never heard before. And at the end of the week, he goes to that group, goes to whoever the leader, I'm ready to be prayed for. Instant manifestation. Miracle took place. He is so excited. He's like, man, I've been down there, I've been in this church. We've never seen these truths before. Goes back down, writes this book on divine healing. It's distributed amongst, I forget the name of the denomination he was with. Distributed amongst the common people, loved it. This is great. We can trust God for healing. And you know what happened? The leadership put a stop to it. They said, we don't have the faith for James 5. Somebody comes for praying. They banished the book and banished him from a denomination over that now get the book it's worth reading it's great right (laughs) saying all that to say one year he's up in England he's staying with his family and he's going through a severe back trial while he's there and he's up in his room in his room eating breakfast and the hostess the lady that ran this house where he stayed that day she came and she says listen there's this woman downstairs she is greatly troubled she is so upset and she's want to know if there's any advice you can give her and he'd been sitting there writing on this piece of paper Andrew Murray had, and he goes, well, here, why don't you give her this piece of paper? I'm writing this down for myself, but I think she might find it helpful. And so I'm going to tell you what was on there, because I think we'll find it helpful. <laughs> and here's what he had written on there. He says, in time of trouble, say, first, he, meaning God, brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this straight place, and in that I will rest. He says, so the first thing is, He's the one that's brought me here. Isn't that what we're talking about here in Exodus? And he had written down next. He says, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. That's the second thing. He will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. And the third thing he said, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. He'll make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn, and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And the last thing he said was, in his good time, he can bring me out again how and when he knows. And that's Mark eleven twenty-four. We got to pray. We have the answer when we pray. We shall have it. We just don't know when that is. That's up to God, isn't it? We aren't going to twist his arm. It's going to happen when he wants it to happen. And at the end of that, he says, therefore, to sum it up, say, I am here in this trial, one, by God's appointment, two, in his keeping, three, under his training, four, for his time. I thought that was good. I thought that basically summed up what I was saying today. So the question is, can we trust the one that has Paul said, can we trust the one Who loved me and died for me gave himself for me can we trust him that's what he's asking us to do in this life he's the captain that has brought many boats through rough waters he knows what he's doing doesn't he (laughs) and we're gonna have to go many places trust me we're gonna have many places in these days ahead that we're gonna go that we don't want to go right and we just have to trust him that he's gonna work all things out for our good that's what our faith says So there's a hymn that goes like this. He drew me closer to his side. I sought his will to know. And in that will I now abide. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And the chorus says, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. The next verse says, it may be through the shadows dim." Or over the stormy sea. I take my cross and follow him. Wherever he leads, I'll go. The next verse. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master, Lord and King. Wherever he leads, I'll go. And the chorus says, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll I'll go. Amen? Amen. Well, let's leave it there. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've shown us here in your word, that you're the God that will bring us into unexpected and difficult places, and we know that you'll do that, Lord, and it will be for our good so that we can experience your presence, your loving kindness, your attributes like we would never know any other way, but also, Lord, to bring glory to your name. You'll bring us to those places, and Father, I also ask that you'll make all of us aware and not forget that we have a relentless enemy who comes after us, that we should be sober and vigilant because the devil doesn't give up, but to remember that you are in control of him. And by our faith, he can be resisted and defeated. And also, Lord, I just ask that, as we said at the end there, that we can trust you. To, you know what you're doing. And you just put our hand in yours, and you'll lead us through this life. You're a father that we can trust. And I just ask you'll make all of these principles that we've seen today real to us, Lord, and alive in our hearts, and something that we can put into practice to walk faithfully to you. And I thank you that you'll do that in Jesus' name. Amen.